0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Geeking out on megapixels, Sony builds smarter DSLRs, and the United States government wants you to push more paper. It's Tuesday, August 31st, 2010, and this is TWiP. Bandwidth or Twip is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. And Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com forward slash twip this week in photo is also supported by the twip podcast app for the iphone and ipod touch it's available on itunes for more information head over to thisweekinphoto.com and here's just a quick announcement before we jump into the show. Um, over the past week, we ran a Twitter contest giving away the entire Craft Envision Vision ebook library—that's 16 books—and we're wrapping up the contest today. We picked a winner, and the lucky winner is Kwame Johnson. Kwame Johnson. And uh, we've notified him by Twitter. And once we get his contact info, we'll send him his prize. So congratulations to Kwame Johnson. Keep your eyes open for the next This Week in Photo contest. We should be running another one pretty soon. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Alex Lindsay, Joseph Linashki, and Mr. Ray Maxwell. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Greetings. Hey, greetings and uh thanks for coming on. This show is going to be just for the folks that are that have been listening to Twip for a while. This is going to be a really sort of smart smart show. So a kind of a departure well, from what we you. have been doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the whole thing is that you know we we're feel branch, like we all have to we're up branching up our out. <laughs> I mean it was it, you know, but Ray's here, so there's a lot of pressure on us. So I yeah. know,
0: I know. So get out your notepads and paper and, and calculators cause, and try to keep up. Because
2: <laughs> Nobody told me we were inviting the smart guy. What's that all about? <laughs>
0: we're all in trouble
2: now, so I'm glad I'm the host because I just could sit back and listen. Oh,
3: boy, you've really set the bar high for me today.
2: So you set your own bar high, my friend. <laughs> they, look, the bar wasn't that high to begin with. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you mean we have to take it off the ground?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty high. It was buried before in the gutter. All right, guys, uh, before we get rolling, because I want to I make sure we have lots of time to get into this geeky stuff. Um, I'd like to give a nod out to our sponsor. Who's our sponsor, Alex Lindsay?
1: Our sponsor is squarespace.com. So, uh, squarespace, of course, is the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website without knowing how to do HTML and without having to know how to build up servers, without no- having to know how to do any of that stuff. You just need to know what you want to do. Uh, you know, it's got a native uh, Twitter widget. Um, that allows you to add multiple accounts. You've got native Flickr widgets. You've got native RSS widgets. You can add uh, Amazon if you're an Amazon associate. You can add all that stuff in. I do. I, I, this is what I use for my blog um, because I don't want to. I don't want to figure all this stuff out. I just want it to do what it's going to do, and uh, and so that's what this is really good for. You don't have to worry about what the server is. It's on the cloud. If you get hit really hard, if you show up on a on a live show like Leo, one of Leo's shows, and it th- doesn't take your server down at a colo. It just simply is absorbed into the cloud. Um, you know, it's got website tracking and built in um, SEO, search engine optimization. Uh, It's got a form builder, photo galleries, you know, just everything, especially as a photographer. If you want to put up a website and you want to do it without a lot of headaches without having to know a lot of technical stuff, without having to know how to port your site from one place to the other. You just want to get stuff up there. You just need a presence. Uh, this is really um, you know, a great place to get started. So uh, you can get a free trial. You can go to squarespace.com slash twip. That's T-W-I-P. Don't need a credit card. You can, you can just try to build a site and see if it's as easy as I, as I say it is. Uh, and if you decide to purchase it, uh, you get 10% off if you use the offer code twip. So once again, go to squarespace.com slash twip. Awesome, flawless.
0: I love that, Alex. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into this. And we on a, on a previous show we talked about Canon releasing or actually discussing that they were they had some gigantic megapixel sensors. They, they've that were, really
1: gone over to this. This they've gone into a crazy like uh, we will not be outdone by Red. Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, it's, I, and I'm so glad that we have Ray on the show today because I know, Ray, you're, you're, you're into the, in, definitely into the uh, the technical side of this and you can help explain if having more megapixels is better or worse or what. And my, my first knee jerk reaction is, first of all, to put the, put the, put a, uh, a, a frame around this. Canon, um, last, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about Canon introducing their, I think it was 120 megapixel. Sensor that would fit into the size of a 1D or in the same space as the current 1D sensor, which was huge because that's going to generate these gigantic, beautiful images that'll, you know, presumably give you lots of pixels to retouch and do whatever to. But then that opens up a lot of cans of of worms in terms of uh, storage. You know, you have to store these things both on the card and off the card and all kinds of things. So, Ray, I wanted to throw it to you first. Sure. You know about this stuff, you understand this stuff. Does it. Should photographers that are out there right now shooting with their their Nikon D three Ss and their their seven Ds and their five Ds and the Mark all this stuff should they be like oh now now my stuff is suddenly antiquated I need to run out and get this new thing when they announce it or or not definitely
3: they should not get upset I uh, if I had to title <laughs> this uh, <broadcast> or <laughs> so forth I'd uh, name it after the old movie A Bridge Too Far. Uh, there are limits, and in this case, there are, uh, the laws of physics that limit this thing, and, uh, and it has to do with the properties of light, not the design of the lenses or the design of the chips. Uh, there is a limit to what light can resolve, and, uh, I did some calculations when I saw them announce this new chip, and the, uh... The pixel size, now not the chip size, this chip is an APS-H size, which is like the 1D, and uh, it's 20 by 29 millimeters. But if you do the math, you'll find that each pixel is roughly two microns square. Okay, Mm -hmm. two microns. Now, that's two
0: millionths. Of a meter. That's what I was going to say. What is what? what how, what's a, a good rule of thumb to understand how big a micron is? right It's it's small. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's <let's>, micro. <laughs> now,
3: now what what we want to compare it to is a wavelength of light, and visible light ranges in wavelength from 400 to 700 nanometers, or if we convert that to microns, the unit I spoke about with the mega, with the pixels, that's to 0.7 microns. So, a nanometer is a a thousandth of a micron, you know, so now we're getting into billions of meters, you know. So, uh, a wavelength of light, of red light, is 0.7. Let's just round it off and call it one micron. Uh, These pixels are only two microns. Now, it turns out and now we're going to, okay, fasten your seat belts. We're going to dive into the deep end of the pool here. Spin, spin your propellers right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Spin your propellers. And uh, we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Airy, And he was a physicist way back when that said, you know what? In any optical system, there's a limit to what that system can resolve. And it has to do with the size of the opening or the aperture. Of the optical system and the bigger the aperture the smaller a feature it can resolve when you run light through a aperture or a hole <laughs> it has an effect on the on the light waves and there there are interference patterns created and so forth and uh in physicists today, refer to these patterns of interference and the and the minimum resolu or maximum resolution you can achieve as an airy disk, named after this gentleman by the name of Airy. And if you want to see an entire, um, you know, write up on this, you can go uh, to. Uh, let me get it up in front of me here. Cambridge uh, in Color dot com. So that's Cambridge in Color dot com. And go to the tutorials and go to the advanced tutorials and there's one on diffraction of uh, uh, photography, and it explains all about airy discs and the limits of light now keep in mind, I keep emphasizing this is a limit of light itself it 's not a limit to the chip design
0: so right right put it, yeah. put it put it in perspective for because I know a lot of photographers are out there like. What did he just say? You know, yeah. so they like for the for the guy that has the you know a 5D and he's just you know maybe he's just getting into HDR, maybe he's shooting weddings or whatever you know. And right. the main metrics that have been in that guy's head are light sensitivity, meaning you know how dark can the room be and I can still get a usable image without using flash, um, and of course sensor noise and that kind of thing. So these these this new technology that Canon is about to introduce. How does that affect that world, or the, the world of the average guy? Without getting into the, the right, you know, the dark matter between the pixels, you know, right. what what what? Okay. How does that? How does this new stuff affect them? Here's where it hits in the real world. Back
3: again to pixel size, the size of each individual pixel. The larger the pixel that you have, the higher the dynamic range. The more photons that pixel can capture. Uh, the lower, the or the better, the signal-to-noise ratio, therefore lower noise in your pictures. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, those are the, those are oh, the right. main things. Lower noise and higher and better signal-to-noise ratio, the yeah. larger the individual pixels are. Right. Yeah. And right, then finally, there's diffraction limiting. Now, so let me give you some real-world numbers. Right, right,
1: right, right. Can I, can, I, can I try to simplify this and just see sure. if, it, if it, you tell me if I'm, being accurate or not, All right. in a in a lot of ways, if someone, uh, it, it's it's a lot about sampling, the number of samples you're going to get for a given photo site. So if you uh, if you have a pixel that is really really small, every little change in that sampling, even if it's a little, if there's a little errata, is going to throw that pixel way off, and and if that pixel's off. It is going to you know be grainy i mean that 's what you 're going to end up with is grain you know out of that, whereas the larger the photo site that you have there, the more it 's going to get a bunch of things to average rather than uh, you know very in, you know the, the less it has to average, the more uh, likely it is to be very different than the pixels around it because. You know, there can be all kinds of errata that's going on. Where it has a larger photosite, it's able to get average more of those, more of that light coming in to get a more accurate view of what's actually happening uh, as it's as it's arriving. Is that is that at all accurate?
3: Yeah, you're on the right track. Let me give you a a real world example of a project I did. Um, I have two cameras that it's really interesting to compare. I have a Canon Five D Mark II. You know, which is right around 22 megapixels. And I have a, a leaf back for my Hasselblad that is also the Vallejo 22 or 22 megapixels. The difference between these two is that the chip, uh, the leaf back on the Hasselblad is twice the area of the, uh, uh, of the chip inside the Canon 5D. So a lot of people say, well, they're both 22 megapixels. All right, here's the real-world difference between these two chips that you can see in the photographs Mm -hmm. from them. Number one, the Canon 5D Mark II has a dynamic range of about nine stops. That's very good. But the Leafback has a dynamic range of 11 11 to 12 stops. So it increases the dynamic range, so you can do Mm -hmm. HDR in a single snap. And uh, in addition it has better signal-to-noise ratio. Now, what's that mean in the real world? And that and this is related to what you just said, Alex. Mm-hmm. If you have noise in the individual little pixels and you decide that you want to up-res the picture, uh, it, and, and there's noise, and you're looking at two adjacent pixels, if the, the value of those pixels as they go across, let's say, a straight line, if it is jiggling up and down with noise, in other words, it has errata, as you put it, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, when you average to create a pixel in between those two pixels, uh, you're going to get noise in that. If the two pixels are, are changing, now here's the mathematical term, monotonically or smoothly, in other words, they're incrementing up as you go across that, that straight line or that edge, smoothly you can interpolate and up your pictures and get a sharper picture uh when you if you have to up to create more pixels like yeah. i i had a project where i had to do a panorama i was working with a commercial photographer and i was supplying technical support for this project and we had to build a 16 foot long six foot high backdrop for a television show and he wanted me to produce a Duratrans of that size with uh, 200 DPI. Keep in mind, this is a background for television. It doesn't have to be that high a resolution. But I produced this image by shooting with the 22-megapixel leaf and uh, up it uh, uh, 200%. Yeah.
0: And it held together really well because of its extremely low noise. Now, no, no, Ray, one... one person that we haven't heard from is joseph and joseph joseph is kind of in in this show is is our feet on the street photographer that's out there using this stuff and banging it around and all this stuff so joseph bringing it back to the beginning you know with these gigantic megapixel sensors and the kind of work that you do traveling around the world and all that uh, and considering what ray was saying about the increased latitude of these new mm-hmm. sensors would this would this benefit you and would you rush out to buy a new camera that incorporates this technology or or is it kind of negligible
2: well getting a better dynamic range is always good and you know honestly this is something that we hadn't discussed when in the past couple shows where we've talked about you know the death of the larger uh the medium format sensor you know do we really need the bigger sensor anymore we've mostly said that we don't but this is an interesting argument and one that i hadn't considered and if you are getting a, a higher dynamic range then that that is in itself is what would sell me Uh, The ability to upscale, that's very interesting as well. I wasn't aware of that, although I don't see that often of needing to use that. That's the kind of thing, pretty fringe case, needing to up-res something that's already 22 megapixels, considering we've seen examples of... 10-megapixel images printed building size that look fantastic. And Joseph, um, Joseph,
0: before you continue, uh, just just explain dynamic range for the photographers out there that may not – they know what it is but that term may not be
2: uh, familiar to them. Sure. So that's basically how much detail you can get in the darkest darks up to the whitest whites. And if you have a very shallow dynamic range, your your picture, your image is going to go – just black, black, black in not that dark as shadows, and the details and the highlights will get lost very quickly. The wider dynamic ranges, you know, nine stops, 10, 11, 12 stops, you're going to have more and more detail, basically 12 stops worth of detail in there. So if you were to change your exposure over 12 stops, the middle line, what you would get in the shadows up to the highlights, would still be. You know in focus still be in detail in the in the image, and that's largely what you get out of hdr that's why Ray was saying that you kind of get hDR in one shot and one click there h d r the whole point of that is to give you that massive dynamic range, get the details in the darkest shadows and in the brightest highlights in the same image, which you normally just can't get
0: yeah
2: yeah so so Alex, I want to throw it over to you so if you
0: and before we move on from the story to the next one so the the hdr the HDR or in, increased HDR capabilities are really intriguing, but is it possible? I mean, do you think it's possible to well, get an a, to get an HDR image out of this? And I know you can. I know you know if you're looking at just straight f-stops, you can. But when you're looking at uh, just depth of field as well, and having a depth of field that goes all the way through the image from the you know the foreground to the background and that kind of thing, is is that possible? I mean, can you can you do that? I mean,
1: I'm I, I'm a little uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think that well, at least not with the technology that we have right now. So um, I think that there are um, you know I think that the problem is you need to get multiple exposures. I mean, theoretically you could have pixels that are right next to each other when they're so when that sensor is so large. I mean, it's something to point to what. Joseph just said, when that image is so large, you could say, "Well, I'm going to take every three pixels that are next to each other, and instead of having them trying to capture the image, I'll have them capture three different exposures." Mm -hmm. You know, because because now those those sensors are so close together, you could have them each one of them dialed in to capture a different exposure uh, that are three, you know, they're a couple a stop apart on each one of them. So when you fire it, it's grabbing all of those, and and in some ways, that's what uh, you know some of the cameras are doing, where they have a, a fractional. Uh, sensors, so they have a larger sensor and a smaller sensor, and the smaller sensor is getting less light. And what it does is it—they're building a little bit of uh, uh, some, you know, uh, increasing the dynamic range using those those types of sensors. I think that that would be how you might use 120 megapixels when you don't really need 120 megapixels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think most of us don't most of us don't need the twenty. 3 megapixels that we that we're getting you know 25 megapixels or whatever it is that we're getting with some of these cameras the you know the big thing that i have is that a i don't need that much size the only thing i could see that this would be useful for is oversampling you know so you get this massive you know 120 megapixels 13,000 pixels wide or whatever and then when i make it half that big it'll mush all that together and make it theoretically average out a lot of the errata that i think is going to show up in the in what the chips doing i i do think that this is the the, not the direction that I would love to see companies go in. I don't really care about 120 megapixels. What I really want is exactly I think what all of us are pointing to on the show, which is that what we really want is light sensitivity. Mm-hmm. We want smooth imagery at night. <laughs> yeah, you right. know, like, and I think that what's interesting is is that that is more important to I think. While we're pros or kind of pros, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a photographer all day, but, but because I use it professionally. You know, you, were, you you could argue that we're a specialized group of people, but I would argue that the most important thing to the average consumer photographer who has a point-and-shoot, who is shooting pictures of their family in their house at birthday parties and everything else, the most important thing to them is light sensitivity, mm-hmm. they, but whether they know it or not. Um, they're, they're sending all these to their friends on the Internet. They're putting them on Facebook. They're putting them on, you know, all these other places. And what's really, really important to them Is that it looks great and and most of them are shooting in low light, they don't have lights to bring with them. They, you know, it's it's an imperfect situation. And I think that I'm I'm hoping that we're really gonna see them focus, see camera companies do what Nikon started doing, which is focusing more on light sensitivity and less on resolution, because you know, I think that this is not, in my opinion, the best direction, best use of Canon's technological prowess. But I would say that the other chip that they talked about is a great example. What, what chip was that? So the one that came out today, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, is Canon came out also with a chip. So they first they said, we can pack a whole bunch of pixels into a small, a small sensor. And now they're saying, and then we also built a really big sensor. So this was 200, I think 202 by 205 millimeters. And uh, to put that in perspective, I think it has 40 times the surface area of a 35 millimeter full frame. So this is a massive... Chip, you know that you know. Uh, just you know, that's, that's all I can say. They're not saying what the resolution is, but it's you know you can imagine if the full sensor is taking in twenty four megapixels. You know, we're talking about you know a sensor that's could be theoretically uh, in the old fashion up to eight hundred megapixels, um, and possibly with this new hundred and twenty in, in a small one, you could theoretically get into the gigapixel uh, cameras. Um, uh, you know, for me, I would love to see that. Applied to about a forty megapixel, <laughs> wow. like, like a forty megapixel across that surface area would be, you know, you could, you could do all kinds of cool things. Yeah. Well, you know, like let, for anybody me... out
2: there who doesn't think in millimeters, that's eight by eight inches. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for people that's who are used cheap. to working with four by five film, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's bigger than that. <laughs> it's like an eight, it's, I, eight, it's really almost like an eight by ten exposure. Except it is. It's, it's like eight they... by ten sheet film. That's crazy. Wow. Well, hey, it's the future.
0: All right, guys, let's, let's move on to story number two, and this is about Sony. They've an announced three new digital SLRs, including one uh, or two with some interesting Fred, technology to increase autofocus speeds. Go ahead, Fred Alex, Rick, what was that? Can,
3: can, I, can I just summarize something real quickly on that before we leave that? Absolutely, yeah. go ahead. Okay, uh, one, this new 120-megapixel chip with these little bitty pixels is going to have less dynamic range than the older chips with the larger pixels, you know, where there aren't as many. I want to be sure, because I, 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 I thought I heard somebody talk about this chip like it's going to have big dynamic range. It won't, okay? okay, because the pixels are too small. And the other thing is there is no lens on Earth that can, once it's stopped down below f4, you start, the lens can't, create imagery sharp enough to use all those pixels oh so it's,
0: it's yeah so it's a it's a function of just it's just it's plain old physics right you can't plain old physics can't change no, light
3: yeah no design or anything is going to be able to to use those 120 megapixels below or sorry stopped to down meaning at f5 6 f8 f11 f16 you've lost the resolution because the light when you run it through a hole, that small cannot resolve, detail that fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, so it's, diffraction, it's a function, limited. It's a function of, less, of the physics itself or the phy- yeah. physics themselves. And you get, so, to, a li- get to a level where, um, yeah, you could, you could build all the greatest technology in the world, but light ain't changing. You know, right. so, you know there's only so, so much you can resolve. To, so to
3: summarize, a chip with those small pixels is diffraction limited at a very low aperture. It has less dynamic range. Uh, and has a poor signal-to-noise ratio, and that's it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Cool. All right, so people are going to have to rewind that segment just to make sure they understand <laughs> all that stuff, because I, I know I'm going to have to. All right, uh, what I what I was jumping in before, uh, the next story was Sony introducing uh, three new digital SLRs, and two of them have increased autofocus speeds, and these are their, these are some of those cameras that have that sweep to do panorama do panorama things and 3D and all this other crazy stuff Alex have you looked at these cameras and and Are these going to replace your 5Ds that you have in your offices right now?
1: (laughs) Well, Sony's been playing with this panorama function for a little while. In fact, if people go back and look at some of the PMA coverage that we did, uh, we've shown this where it's pretty amazing technology uh, where you can simply just sweep your camera across a panorama and it just builds it. It's what I'd love to see in an iPhone, to be
2: honest with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isn't there an app for the iPhone 4 that does that? Uh, there is. Yeah. It, I don't think well. it does a
0: panorama. It does like a, you pan the camera. If we're talking about the same app, you pan there, your phone couple, and it does a like a bunch of different images and yeah, kind of stitches them together.
1: There's actually a few of these. And one of them will actually try to stitch it all together. Um, in my opinion, it doesn't do that very effectively. Um, you know, kind of there's a lot of smearing and ripping and stuff like that. There's another one that just collects all those images together. And and so you know nothing's really doing that super well. This the Sony stuff that I saw that I've seen at PMA is as good as. uh, uh, It's really, I mean, as good as what we see in Photoshop, and and you're just sweeping across. It's a pretty pretty amazing um, thing. It's just taking it just turns the video on and just kind of sweeps across as you go um, and and stitches all those things on the fly. It's instant, Mm -hmm. and so you know they're, they're really cool. Um, it's still not, you know, it's not enough, you know, for me to, you know, uh, uh, give up my, my pan rigs. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you just take it on a slight tangent and not to go down this rat hole at all? Um, Cause we beat it to death. I think it was last year and earlier this year, but the, the by having all this processing power in the camera and having the computer in the camera do this on the fly digital manipulation of your images uh, does that mean with these new cameras everything you shoot is a lie now joseph <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: not quite sure how we got to that, but I have a way of moving things around. No, the, I mean the panoramic thing. That's that's just a great feature. The ability yeah. to do that. I um, all the other features that we're getting out of these cameras: faster autofocus, sweep to build a panoramic. There's no lie about it. It's just getting you a, a better, sharper, higher quality image. It's um, you know, it's it's all towards the uh, towards the path of getting the perfect picture, I suppose. Yeah,
0: Ray, what, what do you, what do you think about these this new technology that's coming into these Sony's and and other cameras? Well, this is
3: this is where the horsepower Moore's law and, you know, computing power, more memory in a smaller space, more computing power. This is where it pays off in these kinds of features. And uh, once again, uh, um, you know, to me, it's all on the good side of working in that area. And that's where I think they should focus their energy, not in adding more megapixels. And, See, now, you now know, I
1: think, I think that, that I, I, I'm, we've talked about this, and Ray, we probably have missed our... Ongoing conversations about this, but my opinion is, is they should let they, they should let people with Androids and iPhones worry about the software that the compu- that the camera runs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only thing that I care about is that they figure out, you know, make great sensors and great interfaces for our our other devices to control them. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that they the problem with it is, is they make a lot of these features that are fine, but they're always just fine. You know, and they're not, you know, they're never great features um you know they're always you know because they're always very limited and you know they don't have a concept of upgrading you know upgrading software for the phones you know it's like it's whatever it was when we released it rather than it could be a sensor with a lens and of course that's probably why they don't do it right
0: all right guys uh this next story up is um pretty interesting and and joseph i'm glad you're on the show today to talk about this because you amongst the three of us you are the kind of working pro that is that this is going to impact the most right now. I mean, it will impact a lot of people, but I think in this panel, you're the guy. So you want to, you want to take us through the story?
2: Yeah, sure thing. So it's, it's a new 1099 requirement that, uh, that the government has come up with. And basically what this comes down to is if you're paying a person or corporation more than $600 in a year, uh, and that can be for goods or services, so it's not just for services. It means if you buy something, you must report that to the IRS, and that's fine. Um, you know, And the person you pay, but you have to report it via 1099. So it means you have to fill out a 1099 for every person or company that you have purchased anything from over $600, valued over $600. Now, the only exemption in here that kind of is going to save most people right now is that if you pay with a credit card that's exempt because that is trackable the government can you know figure that out they can look up the details on that they're really after cash and check transactions but that can be a real problem you know if you have a vendor that you use like a catering company or something that you regularly write checks to um Or just, you know, you buy a lens from somebody that's over $600. You're going to have to fill out a 1099 for them. So the good news about this is that the IRS is asking for comments from the public. So we'll post the link in the show notes, but there is a place you can go to. Um, There's an actual email address, notice.comments at irscouncil.com trias t-r-e-a-s dot gov and there is a sample letter that is floating around on the net and again we can stick this in the show notes um that you can just kind of copy and paste and you know add your own thoughts to it and send it off and hopefully get this thing revoked because it is it's not good it basically means that you're going to have to do a lot more come tax time than you already do and for those of us that are small business owners you know don't have a team of people that do all these accounts for us it's a nightmare i have to admit that that i uh as a small company, <laughs> we, uh, I don't
1: pretty much buy anything other than, other than more than $50 with cash. You know, it's, it's a, it is a, um, it tends to be something that, that we just don't Because I know that I won't get, you know, just, I have to, I have to fill out paperwork just to get my reimbursement, you know? And so the, so the issue is, is that, you know, for me, uh, while I do think that this is, you know, more of the government working hard to make us work harder, uh, I, I also think that if you're a small business owner, you really want to, regardless of this tax pro- process, you really want to consider keeping most of the stuff in plastic. It is so much easier to manage yeah. on many levels, regardless of the tax issues. It's just so much easier to manage all of this stuff if you um, uh, uh, keep it in plastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, let's uh, let's dive right into the listener Q and A. Um, the first question up is from Cello Maestro. And he says, I'm looking at traveling to Antarctica in November and would love to take some shots while I'm there, but I'm worried about the effect of the extreme cold or that it might have on my camera. How do you go about shooting in cold environments like this? Do you need special gear? Is it dangerous to change lenses, etc.? And what other problems can I expect, like exposure for snow or focusing problems? Uh, and he says he's using a Panasonic GF1 with various lenses. So we've got the travel junkie on the show. So <laughs> travel junkie, what uh, what would you say that uh, that our maestro needs to pay attention to while he's traveling in these Arctic temperatures?
2: Well, we've talked about shooting in cold weather environments before on the show, but the Antarctic's a little bit of an extreme. I, I had to look this up because I was just very curious. Um, it it gets cold there it gets down to minus 115 degrees Mm. uh minus 140 fahrenheit that's fahrenheit minus 148 fahrenheit with wind chills so we're talking about a slightly cold weather environment and the operating temperature on that camera is actually only 32 to 104 degrees fahrenheit Uh, so zero celsius to 40 celsius so your camera is going to stop working long long before uh you know getting out in this kind of cold environment your camera's going to stop working pretty quickly now that said those those limits that the camera manufacturer set aren't you know, written in stone. It's not like if it goes to 31 degrees, suddenly everything's going to stop. But you're going to start running into a lot of things like your batteries are going to die very, very quickly. So first bit of advice is to have extra batteries with you. Keep those batteries in your coat pocket. Keep them warm so that when you're swapping them out, they're not already depleted because they've been sitting in a cold bag. Uh, if you, when you go to bring the camera back in, back indoors, back into your igloo or wherever you're going to be down there, uh, you put it into a Ziploc bag before you bring it in so that the condensation forms on the outside of the bag. Um, let's see, he was asking about exposure and things that he has to worry about as far as shooting goes. It is going to be really bright, obviously all that white snow. So you might want to consider bringing a neutral density filter and also polarizing filter. The Mm -hmm. blue skies I think would benefit from having a polarizing filter out there. That can be quite a nice thing to have. Uh, if you're working in extreme cold, the LCD may fail, so you probably better just turn it off, and that's going to conserve battery power anyway. And that's pretty much it. You know, cha- Oh, he asked about changing lenses as well. Um, you know, as long as all the gear is up to – or down, I should say, to temperature, I don't think you're going to have a problem. Um, just you know, make sure the snow doesn't get in there or anything like that. But one of the things we've talked about before is gear fogging up. If you take your gear into a humid environment or you know, just change the temperature dramatically very quickly, it can condense or it can fog up. So let your gear get acclimated to the temperature you're working in first before you start working with it and before you start changing lenses.
0: That's awesome. That was a great response. I think that that might deserve a blog post in and of itself, <laughs> right there. <laughs> that was really good. How to how to travel around with your camera now, Alex Lindsay. You've never. Tra- I mean, I know <clears throat> you travel to the uh, to Africa all the time. So, mm-hmm. never have you ever traveled to any place where the temperature was opposite of that that you find in Africa.
1: Well, I you know, <laughs> I we actually did a shoot in uh, the Seychelles. Um, which is a, for those of you who don't know what that is. It's a little uh, island just north of Madagascar, or group of islands, hundred and some islands. And uh, and we were doing a shoot at a at a uh, factory that had a lot of refrigeration. And the fascinating thing there was you had ninety five percent humidity and uh, you know about ninety degrees outside, mm-hmm. and then refrigerator conditions inside. And. Uh, it turned that and then of course in different parts of the factory it was cold uh where you know and then and then the other parts were room temperature which was 90 degrees and 95 percent humidity and taking the cameras in in and out of that turned out to be a much more uh challenging situation than we expected um you know we did a lot of the basic things but what we found really was is that the heavier the more glass the lens had the less response it had to the you know, to the the change in temperature. And and I just didn't think that that was going to be as big of a deal as it turned out to be. But like our little EX1, um, you know, would just go crazy while the $80,000 lens that we had sitting in front of the RED camera um, didn't change much at all. It fogged up a little bit and then it was like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Interesting. <laughs> so it, it does make a huge difference. You know, what types of lenses you're taking.
0: To. Now, Ray, Ray, I know in another life you are a private pilot or a pilot, or you like to fly and that sort of thing. And, um, from some recent experiences that I just had, uh, jumping out of planes <laughs> and that sort of thing, I know that there's a drastic temperature change from say 13,000 feet down to say ground level, um, Have you you when you're when you're up there? I mean, have you? Are there any special precautions that you need to take? You know, if you do anything with doors open or anything special like that.
3: Yeah. uh, Well, by the way, you it's called temperature lapse rate, and it's three degrees per thousand. So at ten thousand, you're thirty degrees Fahrenheit cooler than you are at ground level. uh, As a rule of thumb. Okay. And uh, so uh, the the main thing uh, it's not so much with the current cameras but uh you had to be very careful with the old Graflex and stuff sticking them out in a wind stream cuz you blow them apart yeah <laughs> <laughs> um don't and, don't spit in the wind Ray, is that what right <laughs> <saying>? <laughs> never tt into the wind son <laughs> yeah. that's what daddy said there's there's the title <laughs> of this episode right there <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate uh i by the way i talked to Michael Reichman once who's done a lot of trips to Antarctica and I asked him about this subject, and he said that that the cameras operate at considerably lower temperatures than the manufacturer's his experience, that they operate at considerably lower temperatures than the manufacturers specify, but where he did have a lot of trouble uh, was in areas of high moisture and condensation problems, as you've just touched on. Yeah. So that's the thing I would say uh, one of the tricks I've heard. Uh, I haven't personally tried it, is put your camera in a bag, leave it in the cold, uh, but put desiccant in the bag to suck all the moisture out of it. And then when you take it out of the bag,
0: it's less likely to uh, fog up. Where do you you get desiccant at? I mean, I've seen it in boxes of things that I buy, but is there a place to purchase that, like off the shelf?
3: That's a good point. It's silica gel is what it is. Mm
2: -hmm. Actually, there is. Yeah, Blue cat litter. So, I, I learned this one from uh, the Twitch show. Andy Ignato was talking about this. You can buy that blue, that cat litter, but it's blue. It's silica gel really cheap. It's, you know, seven bucks for a 10 pound thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you went and bought silica gel, it'd probably cost you a hundred times that if you bought a little packet of it. But because it's marketed as cat litter, it's cheap. But it is just blue silica gel. And I actually used it once when I got my iPhone wet, and I stuck my iPhone in a bag full of silica gel and left it there for a couple of days, and it sucked all the moisture right out. Really? Look yes, at
0: that. That's a, that's a tip right there. So you'll definitely uh, have to remember that. Joseph, you're just full of tips today. What's going on?
2: <laughs> Did my homework.
0: I think the, the, the East Coast is doing well for you there. <laughs> well, it's because I don't
2: go out much. So. Oh, there you go. There you go.
0: Yeah, you're the shut-in. I get it. All right. Uh, question number two. It's from uh, Adam Beinslev. He says, I'm a member of the This Week in Photo Flickr group, but I'm having a hard time figuring out what to use it for. What's the general idea behind that group? What does what discussions belong on Flickr rather than here? He's talking about this week in photo.com uh in the forum. Is it generally for posting photos that we also link to here for critique and is it for competitions? Um, so the 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 Flickr group which is now over 10,000 members or 10,000 photos strong, I think it's No, it's 100,000 photos strong generated by over 10,000 members or almost 10,000 members in there. And the, the main purpose of that group initially, I think, was for competitions. But we've since moved those over to This Week in Photo Forums. But the Flickr group itself is an amazing kind of place for you to post lots of your images in there and get critique and start discussions with other this week in photo members or twit members and sort of get that thing going the forums are more of a discussion area like you know for example joseph might write a post in the forums about the silica gel thing you know that kind of thing whereas the the Flickr area is more of a visual medium where you you did 15 shots in the Antarctic, and you want people to look at them and tell you if you did a good job or not. You'd post them there. So that's the uh, those are the
1: ideas. Um, uh, Alex, do
0: you have any varying opinion on that?
1: Um, yeah, it's just a you know it's a place for you to share you know what you're doing. And, you know, there's a, some people are just comfortable in different areas. They want to go to our website or they want to go to Flickr. And I think that you know wherever you're most comfortable, this is a good place for you to you know. Uh, I, I know that Frederick and I have been talking a lot about. A lot of the other things that we could do but I think that's probably the just where people are most comfortable we want to provide a couple of different outlets yeah
0: yeah definitely all right question number three uh, Joseph I know you're you are a cannon shooter and you have this gear so you want to you want to take us through this
2: Yeah, certainly. So Bradley Thomas asks, I've heard that there are some older rechargeable battery packs for a Canon 550EX flash out there that I can get used that still work great. Can't seem to find the model I'm looking for. Any suggestions? Uh, So the, the one that comes from Canon that Canon makes is called the CPE-4 and new that costs $185. It's not cheap. But it's a great, great solution. What it basically is, is an external battery pack holds up to eight AA batteries. And, of course, those can be rechargeables. And um, I think we've talked about on the show before, Eneloops are the rechargeables that I really like. And E-N-E-L-O-O-P-S, Eneloops. And those things are really, really reliable, very good batteries. But anyway, so you put eight of these rechargeable batteries into this pack and plug the pack into your flash and you now have 8 instead of 4 batteries that are recharging your strobe so it recharges a lot faster the you know after you fire the flash it recycles a lot faster now digging around i did find a couple of third party ones that were remarkably cheaper but you know you always get what you pay for so proceed with caution i'd look for reviews but i found one by a company called Opteca that holds 6 batteries and that was only $40 and then one by a company called Jenko for $30 that also holds eight double A's. So there's a few different things out there. And anything that you can buy new, I'm sure you can find used on eBay or Craigslist. So it just takes a little digging around. Knowing the model numbers is what helps, though.
0: Very cool. Perfect. All right, guys. Let's uh, let's dive right into the very special time on the show—the picks of the week. Um, this is when we each of us will pick a piece of software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. And Ray, um, I'm going to throw it to you first. What do you? What's your pick of the week?
3: Well, I've uh, picked out something that's uh, almost the polar opposite of uh, what people think of when they think of me. Uh, they usually think of deep geek and techie <laughs> stuff. But I want to put in a plug for a uh, magazine I subscribe to uh, that is aimed almost solely at the aesthetics and the creative side of photography that I think is a nice balance. And it's a magazine edited by Brooks Jensen called Lenswork. Mm. And uh, you can find all, ab- all about it at lenswork.com. And something he's doing that I think is really fascinating, number one, he's, he's producing a print magazine. It's a small format, um, and he's doing it on a um, sheet-fed press, not a web press, so it's, and it's do, using 20-micron stochastic screening. So the tonality, and it's all black and white, by the way. It's printed in duotone. Oh. And it is beautiful work. Uh, uh, He has different photographers in it every two months. It comes out six times a year. And then on top of that beautiful magazine that he produces, he is producing a DVD called Lenswork Extended. And the entire contents of the magazine plus additional material, including color work, uh, is produced in PDF. So he is doing some very creative things that involves uh, print, text, pictures, video, and audio interviews with photographers uh, in his Lenswork Extended.
0: Oh, that's cool. So that's, right. at, that's at lenswork.com. Folks can go there to check that out. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, and next up, Joseph, what's your pick of the week?
2: So as most people, as most listeners know, uh, you know obviously I use Squarespace. Everybody knows that. But I also use SmugMug. To host my pictures, and I often will link my pictures from SmugMug over to Squarespace. Now, as you also all know, I am an Aperture user, and getting the pictures from Aperture up to SmugMug is obviously a step that needs to happen. And there's a couple plugins out there, and I've used one for quite a while, but I just got uh, hinted upon a new one called SmugIn Pro for Aperture. And I just found this the other day and got into it, and I absolutely love it. There's actually a free version. And a twenty dollars pro version, and the pro version gives you the ability to not only upload pictures to your uh, to your Squarespace account, uh, sorry to your Smug Mug account, account, but also to replace them. So this is one of the things if you if you put a picture up on Flickr or whatever, fine. And then you decide you want to replace it. Obviously, you can delete that picture and then um, you know and just upload a new version of that. But then all of your links that may already be out there have just broken with Smug Pro uh, Smug Mug you can upload a photo and then replace that photo at a later time say you you know, make some more edits to it or whatever replace it and it just swaps it out and all the code stays the same well, this plugin, Smugin Pro for Aperture, actually allows you to do that directly from within Aperture. So I can just be in Aperture, I can choose an image, hit upload, send it up there, and then make a change to that image, hit upload again, and it says, "Oh, this image already exists. Do you want to replace it, or do you want to upload it as a separate one?" And you can do that. So I actually just wrote a big long review of this up on ApertureExpert.com. So if you haven't seen that, head on over there, to check it out. But the plugin is Smugin Pro for Aperture.
0: Very cool. And we'll we'll definitely link to that in the show notes and wherever else we can. So perfect. All right, uh, Mr. Alex Lindsay, what is your pick
1: so i you know sometimes I take photos and I really like them to look like paintings you know and I want to do it on my iphone and um, so i uh there's this new application that was released today just today and mm-hmm. i've been I've been playing around with it and it's called photocopier and um and so this is made by digital film tools now, the thing to know about digital film tools is they they do really high end uh, they build a lot of high end filters, so this isn 't somebody kind of futzing around with, uh, oh, I wonder if some filters could, would work. Uh, these guys really know what they're doing with the image processing. And so what they're doing is, uh, if you want your photo, you can take a photo or you can load one in and you want it to look just like, let's say, Monet, you know, but, you know, uh, or, you know or, or Munch, the scream, or Picasso, the accord- accordionist, you know, and, and you want it to have the same texture and the same, you know, uh, color space and everything else. Uh, you know, this you can actually have it. It's going to grab the colors and remap them, and then also take into account all of the texture and add it to your little photo. So um, it's nifty. You know, it's like ninety nine cents or one ninety nine or something like that, and it's just a lot of fun. So I I, I I've, I've done some pretty expensive ones lately. So I thought I'd just give everybody like a a fun thing to download to play with your photos on your iPhone. Very That's cool. It.
0: That's awesome. All right, I have a note. I'm going to download that. All right, and my my pick is uh, this just came out yesterday. It was uh, the an update to Lightroom three, so they they're up to version three. two now and they among other things like increase or they increase the number of lens profiling or b- profiles that are in there. For distortion correction and, and that sort of thing. But they also added in the feature to uh, synchronize and upload to Facebook and SmugMug. So, very similar to what Joseph was was talking about via the plugin, uh, they added it into Lightroom 3.0 natively. So, uh, you could do it before with Flickr. So, basically, you could select, basically, it's uh, if you're fami- familiar with Lightroom, it's kind of like creating a collection. That was uh, synced to another source, whether it be a simple folder on your hard drive, which is what a lot of people use for syncing to their iPhones and iPads, or to a service like uh, Flickr. And the cool thing is you sync it up there, and as you make changes down on your computer, you can click a button, and it'll automatically replace the images that are uploaded with the changed images. Well, now they've increased their, their service universe to include Facebook and SmugBug, so... Really cool stuff. Free download, of course, if you already own Lightroom. They're at version 3.2, and we'll definitely link over to them in the show notes as well. All right. Photo mission time. Um, Every week we challenge our listeners to challenge themselves photographically uh, to uh, basically accept our mission and shoot photos and upload them to the forums. And sometimes we even award prizes. And, you know, sometimes has been every single week we've (laughs) awarded a prize. Um, Last week's mission was entitled Annoying. And the winner was... Daza 17 d-a-z-z-a 17 from australia with a shot that uh, they call annoying dad and we'll link that link to that in the show notes so check it out click over on that link and leave uh leave dazza 17 a comment or two uh, about what you thought about their photo and or tell them congratulations and hey guys you know what time it is we're at the end of the show so <laughs> we're at the end of the show. How fast did that go? You know, my propeller is still spinning from the top of the show. Um, Ray, where can people find you online?
3: Uh, they can uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, guy U.S. spelling,
2: C-O-L-O-R-G-U-I. Got it. All right. And Joseph, where are you? Uh, for Aperture, it's ApertureExpert.com. And for the photo stuff, head on over to ConfessionsOfATravelJunkie.com. Wonderful. And
0: Mr. Alex
1: Lindsay, where are you? You, you can find me on the Twitters. Alex, Lindsay, all one word. And also this week, uh, if you go to dvgarage.com, we are releasing the new version of Conduit, uh, which is our uh, GPU-based nodal compositor. So uh, it is um, the second version, and it's got lots of new stuff, and it's free for 90 days. So you can download the whole version. There's no watermarking, no nothing. Uh, We just want people to get a chance to play with it. So there's some videos on how to get started. Uh, It's good for both still images and video. So uh, definitely uh, check it out uh, at dvgarage.com
0: excellent and to keep up with everything in the this week in photo universe just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. there you'll find links to our facebook fan page our twitter account and much much more and if you're looking for me frederick van johnson you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan and with that it is time to take that lens cap off Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com and Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP and squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com forward slash twip this week in photo is also supported by the twip podcast app for the iphone and ipod touch it's available on itunes for more information head over to thisweekinphoto.com
3: this week in photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers john riley and alutha jamakar the show's content contributor is eric horton